Okay, we are back on another episode of the Public Speakers Podcast. Today, I have with me two amazing people uh, who have started a company called Good Company Consulting, Hannah and Lisa. Uh, I found them from Instagram because I was like stalking the hashtag public speaking and I found them and I was like, oh my God, this is pretty cool. And then I checked out their profile and it seems pretty awesome. So we're going to get into a bunch of stuff today, but I really wanted them on the podcast today because they are... They have their own company and they do a lot of keynote presentations and they go consult with other companies. And I kind of wanted to get an understanding of public speaking from their perspective and what it necessarily means in terms of the consulting industry writ large. So uh, Hannah and Lisa, please introduce yourselves, tell us who you guys are, and then we'll get into a bunch of stuff. Sure. Um, I'll go first. I, my name is Lisa Walden. I'm one of the co-founders of Good Company Consulting. And um, my background, I've, I was a kid that moved a lot. Uh, Hannah and I met in college and been working for a while. And uh, we sort of bonded on the idea that um, people are not seen as people in businesses. They're seen as resources. So we wanted to flip the script on that. And that's where Good Company was born. Yes. So I'm Hannah, co-owner, and Lisa did an awesome job introducing. So I'm sure we'll get into more stuff. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Cool. So I came across your Instagram um, just by looking that you guys are traveling to a bunch of different companies and you're consulting with them. And a lot of the majority of your consulting has to do with speaking to them and giving sort of presentations to their employees. Um, I guess my first question is, what inspired you guys? I know you guys want to flip the script on how people are treated, but what inspired you guys to do that through the medium of speaking as communication versus selling them like online video tutorials or something like that that could help their companies? It's mm, a really good question. Uh, I think there's a multi-layered answer to that. Um, it is increasingly harder in today's landscape to capture people's attention and to be one of the thousands of voices online that have a downloadable program i feel like it'd be really hard to to just capture anyone especially <clears throat> things longer than a minute and a half let's be real nobody's watching it yeah um yeah. and on stage you you do have people's attention i mean they have their smartphones on them so half people are scrolling through instagram but at least you have their 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 bodies their attention their their presence for a little bit and I find that um, the content that's delivered via the stage can be extremely powerful because it's delivered in such a way that we've seen people have these literal aha moments and come up to us afterwards and even write to us months afterwards and say, that thing you said <clears throat> with me and it changed the way that I do X, Y, Z. In terms of impact, I think that speaking, strangely enough, can have a, like, a huge impact on people's lives. And it, it because of the medium, there's something magic about it that really shakes people up and, and makes them consider things in a different light. Yeah, it's like there's this cool thing that happens when, because it's not that often that a bunch of people come together anymore for to sit and experience the same thing at one time. Like people don't even go to movies that much anymore and yeah. experience at the same yeah. time. And so it's still one of those rare circumstances where that happens. And when we're trying to communicate a message to the masses, it's like you have this collective reaction to it. So it continues to have a ripple effect with your message. So for us, we're kind of fortunate that we can use that medium to try to make workplaces better. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, actually, because in the age of like social media content and everything, it's it's amazing because it helped us connect. Right. If we didn't have platforms where you guys post content, I wouldn't know you who you guys are. But it does sort of delegitimize a little bit of the real face-to-face -face connection and speaking as a medium, especially in large corporations and companies and stuff like that can really genuinely create that connection. In terms mm -hmm. of um, 
like actually getting the start to speaking when did you guys decide you wanted to be professional speakers who actually like can give can have the magic to get people to get to those aha moments when did that realization happen for you guys yeah so i have loved speaking my entire life i was in speech when i was in high school um, so like I was one of those nerds, uh, but then I went to college and I was like, cool, that'll just be something I used to do. Right. And then I was incredibly fortunate to have a company. I met a company and it was like, oh, I can combine my two passions, public speaking and researching human beings. And right. so that finding that company is really what launched professional speaking. I knew nothing about it until that happened. So that just kind of worked out very well for me. I feel very lucky. Yeah, I um, so I this is not exactly public speaking, but I did theater in uh, late high school and then college. And again, that's where Hannah and I met. Actually, was mm -hmm. in a theater in college. But I was I'm an introvert, and I like to be behind the screen, and I don't really like to be in front of people very much. Yeah. So I was a little bit forced onto the stage. Um, forced is a strong word, but I was <laughs> pushed to get on. <laughs> Um, and so I did in a, in the previous company that I worked at, I was, uh, I, some speakers couldn't, it, it was a speak, uh, speaking firm, uh, you know, speaking firm. And there would be scenarios where, um, it just wasn't the right fit for some of our speakers. So people were like, Lisa, why don't you give it a try? And I was like, sure, whatever. I, I, I think I'm going to hate it, but I'll, I'll give it a try. And, uh, I did hate it the first couple of times, but there was also something really fun about having that. Um, again, capturing people's attention for that short amount of time and be able to present content that you're really passionate about and you know makes a difference in people's lives. So it's been a journey for me, but since those few times, the more I do it, the more I come to love it and the more I appreciate the platform for what it is. Now, now Lisa, that, that keynote speaking firm was the, the model of the firm, like they hook up speakers to events. Was it kind of like an agency? No, and we get that question a lot. So they had a, a pretty unique model. Um, they and people approached us. I'm sure you've heard of, of speaking bureaus. So yeah. people often thought that it was a bureau. It was not. Uh, a good way to think about it is um, in a lot of ways, it was a, a research house uh, that had speakers that presented on the research that we did. Uh, so, okay, okay. yeah, so it was all all generationally focused. It was all generational research. And we had about 20 years of, of content and research behind us. Um, but the speakers that we hired, it was about half speakers, half researchers, and, and the speakers were researching as well. It was all sort of enmeshed, but gotcha. only certain people went out to speak. And then we had, of course, um, administrative staff that would help us with all the booking of flights and, um, you know, collecting payment and all of that. Right. But essentially, it was a fully functioning research house that had speakers that would go out and present content. So you you weren't necessarily doing the research, but out of nowhere, someone was like, Lisa, can you give a speech? And then you tried it out. And that's where you got your start in terms of like professionally speaking. Kind of more that I was doing the research. Um, I was the behind the scenes engine that gotcha. did a lot of the behind the scenes work and, and consulting. I did a lot of consulting work, but not so much speaking. Gotcha. And then it was a situation where it was like, oh, this client doesn't have really enough money to book us, but if you want to try your hand at it, you totally can. And I was like, okay, I guess I will. And it was cool. So I kept doing it. <laughs> that's, that's dope. And I, I did a speech and debate in high school. So like every other uh, weekend I was traveling to a different speech tournament and stuff like that. I I had developed a little bit of a name for myself. So like when I was <clears throat> like 16, 17, I kind of felt a little bit like a rock star because you would go to different <laughs> tournaments and yeah. they, they would be like, is that a myth? Like he just got to quarterfinals at the New York tournament a week ago and now he's in California and like, let's see where he goes here. I was like, wow, this is kind of crazy. It's like people know who I am. Yeah. So, so my question to you guys is, do you guys kind of feel when you're on stage 
like a rock star because when I was really young, I mean, my earliest dream that I could remember is wanting to be a rock star. And then when Michael Jackson died, I think I was like 11 years old and I was exposed to like the, 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 the beauty of just like his stage presence and all that stuff. I really wanted to be uh, like a rock star. And I realized that speaking is sort of the medium in which I can be on stage and communicate to people. When you guys are on stage, does it feel like you're owning the stage and like you have that presence? Um, I, okay, so, well, that's such a, it's such a, I have so many layers of answers to that question. Okay, that's good, that's good. Um, so for me personally, I feel like, I don't feel like a rock star, like, I feel, um, and I mean, from a competitive speaking background, I feel like it's a little bit different because right. there's like, there's more name recognition and it's more like you're in a pond and you're the big fish in the pond kind of. And whenever I go to these events, it's like, chances are they've got these amazing other keynote speakers. They've seen so many people in the past. And so I'm kind of like, hi, I'm Hannah. I'm from Minnesota. I have this tiny little company. Maybe you've heard of me. <laughs> um, but what does feel really cool is that like, as soon as you're on stage, I mean, it's the power of being on stage is that no matter what, you have a pattern into your brain. Oh, someone's on stage. I'm going to listen to them. Right. And so it becomes this really cool opportunity to be like, oh my gosh, I have attention for 60 minutes from these people. And it's my job to keep their attention. And hopefully we can do something really cool together. So it becomes, for me, it's more like the one place that I can go where a personally for me, my brain shuts off because right. my brain is always, always going. And when I'm in that mode, it's like, there's nothing I can do right now, but think about this audience and what is going to resonate with them and how can I can deliver something that will resonate with them. So it's that kind of moment for me. And then it's also like this really cool experience to create an experience. And that just doesn't exist really anywhere else for me. Um, so it's not so much a rock star kind of mode. It's, I don't really know exactly how to articulate it. Yeah. For me, I, I guess I feel so honored to have been, you know, selected to speak in front of a room of people and honored to have their attention. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's yeah. not, I never feel like a rock star. I feel like gratitude for the audience and for the time that they're giving me. Yeah. And uh, I, I, it's funny, whenever I speak, I have these two sort of snapshots in my head. One are the eye, con the eye contact that I have with individual people. So it can almost feel like I'm just talking to one person at many right. different points of the presentation. And then the second thing though is, maybe a little bit more towards that rock star thing is when the, when the jokes land, when the, you know, like the comments and the jokes actually land, that is a great feeling. Just that like, yeah, yeah, the <laughs> yeah. like mic drop wave of, of laughter that ripples through the room. That, that's when I guess I might feel like a little bit of the like, Heck yeah. Killed mm -hmm. it. Killed that one. <laughs> okay, I'm going to ask you guys an honest question now. Yeah. Very simple question. Need a one-word answer. Actually, every you both have to answer for each other. Hannah oh. to Lisa, Lisa to Hannah. Oh, God. Okay. Is Lisa funny and is Hannah funny? Yes. Yes. Okay. So good. funny. Yeah. Yes. So, so that, as soon as you guys said yes, that, that means... So, like, I guess that goes into... How do you guys incorporate humor? Do you guys, like, find moments where it's a punchline or is it kind of impromptu on stage? Both, both, both. Right. I think uh, a thing about building content, because it's always evolving, and I think maybe one of the differences that we have from other some other speakers is that we don't have a presentation that we give everywhere and customize. Mm. It is always changing. It is always interesting. We're so always you, so you don't have a sellable keynote that's always the same thing. It's more dynamic, even though the message may be there. Yeah, right, right. yeah. We have different topics, and we do have a baseline that we build upon, but we really, really customize very, very heavily. And we're also always doing research because we we get bored yeah. <laughs> very easily. So if we're presenting on the same thing 
a hundred times a year, we wouldn't be in this industry in the business. Um, so there's a lot of, but there are these like key golden nuggets that you can find in presentations when you present. And, and there are jokes that you can continue to refine. So yes. we have jokes that we work on and we're like, okay, that way of delivering it didn't quite land. And then also the considering the audience who's in the room. Right. So if you have a room full of engineers, the content that we might put together will be slightly different than right. if we're in a, a room that's, you know, hospitality industry. So right. um, it, it's, it's things that get added and improved along the way, I'd say as well as impromptu jokes because yeah. those always come to you when you're on stage. Yeah, I feel like the most important thing for humor too because we're not we're not punchline writers. <laughs> like I sometimes I really wish that we were because we both worked with people who like could write a punchline and then you saw them deliver it and you're like what did you just see that oh my that was brilliant like a stand up comedian oh my gosh um but that's it's just not who we are so we are more uh we're both really deprecating and um we both like to use, I mean, you can even use images and stuff as humor. We do that sometimes. And then one of the other best things in being impromptu is that we always include the audience in some way. Yeah, and there's right. always like callback jokes. And usually people are willing to make fun of themselves if we make fun of ourselves. So it kind of becomes, that's just like a really natural place for humor, which is great. Right, right. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I like to think of myself as someone who's funny. And I think I've had like moments in my life where... Um, I've just, I've just continuously always impromptu jokes at the moment and it's worked with like mm -hmm. friends or in front of an audience. Um, I think it's, I think it's humor in a speech is different because like comedians, right? I think the, the act of comedy has been around for a very long time and comedians have consistently sold out, um, you know, halls and even like arenas for like an hour, right? Their set is not like some two hour concert. It's like just an hour of them speaking. And it's just insane to me how little itty bitty, itty bitty moments in the scheme of a, of a grand story can get people to react in such a way that would make mm -hmm. them willing to, to, to pay hundreds of dollars to just come watch you speak just to be mm -hmm. entertained, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, when you guys get an idea and you have a thought and a concept of what that idea could look like from a personal standpoint, just thinking about it in terms of what that idea means, and then from a professional consulting standpoint in terms of how do you sell that idea? Because you guys are in the business of selling ideas and selling that as a service. What steps, I guess like three steps off the top of your head, the number is arbitrary, that you take to turn that idea into something that legitimately can be talked about and have an impact on people's lives? How do people who are listening to this podcast construct a message? Let's hmm. try and then you edit as restore what I'm saying. Um, so I feel like the first step is we find what we're passionate about. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what do we really, really believe is important for ourselves? What is important for other people to hear? Then step number two is research a lot. Go to lots of different websites, books, articles, magazines. Be like, does anyone else believe this? Do they not believe this? Is there any proof that this is real? Right. Is it legitimate? And then we eventually craft the message together using both of those things, using stories, using humor, et cetera. We have a whole flow. And then it's like, all right, now third step is let's test this. Right. And if we get a good reaction from it, then it's like, great. Or if it falls flat and no one is really interested in what we're saying, we're like, okay, cool. That's clearly just us. Uh, we will maybe try that later. So I think right. that's kind of, if I were to simplify it into three steps, that's what we do most often. Yeah, definitely. We 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 let our passion and our instincts drive our ideas. So rather than try to match the market, we follow our passion and our curiosity mm -hmm. and then try to, because you want that overlap, right? That Venn diagram of like your passion and curiosities and what the market wants. So we right. find that nice 
battleground mm -hmm. and sales calls can be great testing tools for that. So, so before you even get on stage, you just float some, you can float some new ideas to clients, you know, like have your stock stuff that you know works really well, but float some other stuff too. And you can get a sense fairly quickly if people are interested, if there's mm -hmm. um, curiosity towards what you're curious about. So those are great testing grounds for us as sales calls to, again, know what we're saying that works, but also test some new stuff out. And then of course you get to play on stage and there's an element right. of playing and experimenting on stage that happens. Uh, it's just, you know, obviously we always want to deliver something great to the client, but mm -hmm. there is space for a little bit of experimentation. And so we, we do, once we've sort of vetted it through the sales process, we'll test it out on stage and, and see if it's an idea worth pursuing, which is a really fun process. Yeah, it is fun. And then the one thing I will add to is that what we share content on social media and people yeah. really, they do engage with the things that they're really passionate about. And that's a really good sign for that's us true. where it's like, oh, wow, okay, this clearly matters to people. And it was just two different quotes. Excellent. So that's right. another test. Right. One of the things, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. One of the things that I'm super passionate, uh, passionate about is the concept of introspection. So like, to me, it's, it's kind of insane that I can think of a memory that I had when I was five years old and literally vividly play out that memory, maybe not to perfection, but to some extent of the essence of what that day was when I was trick or cheating at five years old. And I can remember and I can look into this camera and I can literally see what's happening at five years old that was 15 years ago. The, the introspection is just crazy to me because we can recall upon our experience and our past memories and then form some type of conclusions about how those experiences have influenced our, li our lives to this day. Um, do you guys use introspection a lot when trying to come up with new ideas? Do you guys like go deep within the very depths of your soul and try to figure out like if you have this idea, how you can talk about something that's happened in your life to influence that idea to become a little bit more real and sellable to an audience? Hmm. Yeah, I think that um, a lot, well, a lot of the work that we're doing right now and part of part of what this company is for us is is we want to enjoy it. We want to love the work and we want to get better as we do it. So we also do a lot of work on ourselves. And we realized that as researchers, it can be really easy to get a lot of input from a lot of different sources, but not to sit with your own thoughts and your own ideas and and just do that. Do, right. do the interest, do the pulling from in. Uh, and I think the internet is like, we're all just, there's all this data coming out at us from all different angles. You can just be easy to just intake and then regurgitate what you see out in the world. So we're doing a lot more of sitting with our thoughts and sitting with our experiences and all of that. And also additionally, I mean, that's how you build the personal connection that makes content really stick and makes mm -hmm. content really interesting because nobody wants to go to a presentation to get a bunch of statistics. They want to form an emotional connection with the speaker. And the way you do that is through introspection. Mm -hmm. Right. <clears throat> yeah. And it, I mean, it requires, excuse me, <clears throat> it requires so much vulnerability to have that introspection, I yeah. think. And I feel like sometimes people discount their own experiences or their own stories at first, because there's the question of, is this going to relate to everyone? And the answer is no, probably not. Like my story in life is not going to be the same as everyone else's, but it gives people the opportunity to have the same kind of introspection, I think. And for both of us, I mean, it's great that we can work with each other and bounce our introspection and our stories off of each other because we also challenge each other to dig deeper into that. So it's like, wait, let's go deeper into that story or that reaction to that article or whatever. Where is that coming from? Why is that happening? How could this be shared with other people? So I think going into those layers is critical to have content that good content, mm -hmm. honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, I, th I think that makes a lot of sense, and I'm, I'm about to ask an introspective question now. Now, if you do, if you guys don't mind me asking, how old are both of you? 31. 31? Yeah. I just had my birthday. I always forget. I, know, so I, I was like, <laughs> I just had my two. How old am I again? 79. No, I am 34. 34. So 31 and 34. So obviously you guys have had a career uh, of sorts before you guys decided to uh, form Good Company Consulting. Um, yeah. I guess the introspective question here, which we'll get into some other stuff about speaking, is like, what was it over the past, I guess, five, 10 years when you got, when you guys had careers in the research firm and doing other things in theater where both of you decided to come together and decide that you too could actually go to other companies and help them manage their companies better? What was the introspective reason why you thought you guys could do what you're doing right now? Good question. That's a good question. It's a really good question if you got to think. <laughs> yeah. There's no, there's no neat, precise answer to it, I guess, yeah. is I think it, it came through, I mean, we've been friends for, I don't know, 10 plus years. Yeah. And uh, we're aligned in a lot of ways, but we're also very different in a lot of ways. We're quite complementary, which is really great. It makes for a great working relationship. But mm -hmm. I, I, we've just, we've worked together for so long and we're both, we're both aligned on the idea that, I mean, it, it's honestly, it's the the mission and the mainframe of what the company is all about, which is work doesn't have to suck. <clears throat> and so of our lives we spend at work and people are miserable. And, you know, we, in our past job, we loved it so much and we'd always gush about it to the right. point that our friends were like, shh. <laughs> that's great, but I hate my job. So stop talking about it. And mm -hmm. we're like, well, why that sucks. Why, why do we settle for the idea that work has to be this horrible place filled with passive aggression and, you know, just drudgery. It doesn't have to be that way. And so we've, we've been talking about this and bonding about this for years and years. And then we both independently decided um, at some point to, it was time to leave our, our previous positions and, had kind of a random conversation where we were like, oh, wow, I didn't know that you were thinking that as well, because I'm thinking that. And then we just kind of talked about, well, <clears throat> what would we do in, in the after? And this was what came to mind is that, well, yeah, let's help people have work places that they love to go to, like we've been lucky enough to have for six years. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, to that point, there wasn't one moment that solidified like this is the path forward this is what we need to be doing but because there is so much that we share and there are so many stories that we can share with each other where we can bond over them or we can like i said earlier we can challenge each other on them like we have we have such a base of respect for each other um that it makes it made this decision of <clears throat> this kind of relationship we're friends like the working relationships we've had that have been successful and it's like there's just there's so many it's really simple it's like right. be kind to people put people first how can we talk about this more so i think it was a lot of little moments that led to like a big moment of conversation and aha where it's like okay we, we can do this we can put this together and we've created content together for years and we've tested content together for years so we also uh have a rhythm and a flow yeah we know how each other works i'll also add to that um have you read creativity inc by ed catmull i have not of, read that book Star. it's really really good it's i highly recommend it we read it for we do like a book club for good company um mm -hmm. and one of the things in that book is he basically says i good ideas are trumped by good teams 
And I totally believe in yeah. that concept. Yep. And so like, this is to me, like dream team situation, like the best team, we have total confidence in each other. We are willing to be vulnerable with each other. We'll, we're willing to be radically candid with one another and call each other on our shit. So <laughs> it's, it works, it really works for us. And I think even if we didn't have an idea, we knew you know, if at some point we hadn't have had an idea, we both knew that we wanted to work together because it was just so good. Um, right. So that was always like a driving thing of like, well, yeah, this makes sense because it's just so effortless and rewarding at the same time. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's kind of why I wanted to reach out to both of you because I mean, like you're both in the industry of basically management consulting and there's big players in that, right? Where you have like Deloitte and Accenture and PwC and all these big, huge corporations uh, and I feel like both of you, like, just given your age and given your work experience, could definitely have applied to go work at those firms and, and, and be, <laughs> be, be consultants in those companies. But the fact that you guys came together <clears throat> and decided to actually build something from the ground up um, and see where that could go based upon your collective experiences and ideas, I mean, it's just more unique of a concept. And I feel like it's part of your whole theme of not making work suck because there's a genuine compassion for it. And I think those those other big-ass corporations like Deloitte and stuff, a lot of their employees, they, they lose a lot of the, the radical sort of, like, transparency that you guys have when you're, when you're doing the work that you do because they're in the infrastructure of something that's much harder to communicate the simpler message that you guys are communicating about. Yeah. 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 Okay. I actually... Different. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. anyway. That's, no, that's no. a whole other thing. I won't go. I won't go. <laughs> Were you gonna like just, just <laughs> shit on big corporations? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Just yeah. A whole tangent. Whole, whole tangent. Thing. We'll leave that for another day. <laughs> okay. That's interesting. Uh, I would I would be with you. I mean, I'm a senior in business school right now, and like, you know, let's go on okay. this tangent. I don't care. All my friends, right? <laughs> are like, all of them are like, you know, I want to go to J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs. This is this. Blah 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 blah. And I'm like cool that's like not a bad ambition right i get it i understand you want to go work at a job make 100 grand a year and be stable and, and like yeah but when i ask them why i'm like so why do you want to do this right outside of the money outside of stability what's the purpose in the work that you're doing the inability for them to communicate what they want to do with their life not saying that you have to know about it at 22 but just have an idea of like what you're trying to do even in the industry that you're going into is so lackluster. I mean, it's so pathetic, to be honest. Like, their inability to just be like, or their ability to just be like, I just want to work five days a week and then get drunk Friday to Sunday and just keep doing that because that's, like, my life plan. I mean, it's it's sad to me. And I think, like, specifically business schools have sold this idea of once you become uh, a consultant or an investment banker, you have your life set out for you. It's really sad because a lot of those people, they, they don't find meaning and value in their work. And I have a lot of friends who I knew my freshman year who are now seniors and they're complaining about how boring and sucky their lives are. And for me, I'm making the audacious decision to like go the entrepreneurial route, be unemployed for a couple of years, try to figure it out on my own and actually get to a point where I can enjoy the work that I'm doing. And I think a lot of people, especially young people, they're buying into the idea of, of having to do shitty work for money at this point, which is not a good concept to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's really, yeah, it's, it's so different. Like, I think that there's kind of a shift and it's one thing that we look at because I mean, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, when we were graduating from college, I, that was a little bit less of the mindset. It was like yeah. a very cheesy, like, let's go make a difference in the world. And there were still some people who were like, I want to go work at these big firms and make money and buy cars and do really cool shit with my life. But 
Um, what's what's sad about it and what we're starting to see is kind of to your point is like you've been told that you should be chasing this thing for a long time you have this vision of what that looks like but then you get there and you're like oh i have to be on a plane on sunday night or early monday morning i'm gone all the time i'm working such intense hours and i'm burning out at 24 and when i calculate because like there's so many people who've done the calculations of how much am i actually making an hour when i'm working in these really really big jobs yeah um it's nothing like they wanted to be making. So there's that, and that's part of, I mean, it's part of the work that we're trying to sort of shift a little bit and work with organizations is like, how can you, you have all these people who want to work for you. So how can you create a really awesome work experience for them? Not just when they're interns and they get all the flashy, really cool things, but throughout their entire career. So it can be sustainable. Like everyone says, I mean, employers are saying all the time, we want to keep all our people. We want them to be happy. We want that. We want to retain top talent, but top talent leaves because there's so many pieces where like employers are not thinking about them as a collective holistic human being who right. are going to have this whole series <clears throat> of different wants, needs, desires, motivations that they don't even know yet. And we kind of believe it's it's on the role of the employer to figure out like what kind of part in the journey do they want to play with the people that they hire. Mm. So anyway, I could go on many more tangents, but what, what are your thoughts, Lisa? <laughs> yeah, um, yes, to all of that. Uh, yeah. I also just... I don't think it was ever in my mind to apply to any of those consulting agencies, firms, uh, simply because, I mean, I, I am learning, but I know myself in this way that I am someone who is very allergic to the phrase because that's the way we've always done things or, you know, that's the way things are done here. And I think just, I mean, just by the nature of being a large organization, oftentimes that's what happens, right? Mm -hmm. And that's how you keep order. And I totally understand that. But Absolutely. For me, being able to ask questions and really understand, but why? <laughs> Not sorry to sound like a classic millennial, but absolutely like, why are we doing this? Right. If you can give me a good answer, okay. And if we can test it and make sure that that is still, still holds true, fine. Uh, a lot of larger organizations <clears throat> aren't willing to do that. And that's why, that's why we're getting called in a lot because mm -hmm. people are like, things need to change. The world has changed. All this technology has totally changed the way that we're working, but we still are doing the same things that we used to do. And people are frustrated, they're burnt out, they're exhausted, they're feeling disconnected, they're feeling lonely. So what, what do we do? What are we supposed to do? Because this is the way things have always been done, but it's not working, right? Right. Do, do you guys kind of feel like top-level talent at a consulting firm or large company it's inevitable that they leave because they're because they're top level for a reason and that ambition is a once, eventually going to inspire them to go do it on their own or do you think not everyone wants to do it on their own and the, it's the company's job to just create an environment where that talent continues to remain uh, yes mm -hmm. and i think yeah. that there's some degree of top talent is top talent for a reason and so yeah you're going to you're going to lose some of those people yeah but I, I think when that happens, one of the things that we've seen some organizations do really successfully is you have to be super intentional about how that person leaves, right? right. How your people leave shows a lot about who you are as a company. And unfortunately, we've seen, we've heard, we've experienced when people do it the wrong way. And if you do it the right way, I think you you can, you can be super intentional about building an alumni network of mm -hmm. people who have left your firm who will come back. And we've seen that when those people come back, 
they are super, super, super loyal. They will stay because they know, you know, I left for X, Y, Z reason. I'm back now. I realized I shouldn't have left or, you know, I, I had, I did what I needed to do. I'm back now. I'm committed. So uh, being able to, to have that sort of network and framework of, okay, we totally get it. You know, you go pursue whatever you're going to pursue. We'll be here. So if you ever want to come back, let us know, reach out. Uh, that's one thing. The second thing, yeah, some people, especially looking at next generation Gen Z, stability and financial stability is really important to them. So if mm-hmm. you can create a workplace that they love to work at and they can also pay their bills and get the, the money that they're after, which is which makes sense because they saw what happened to millennials. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, of course, you're going to retain some of that talent, but you can't keep trying to lock, you know, the harder you try to grasp top talent, it's, it's not going to work. So you just have to be intentional about creating the framework well that where they'll thrive, knowing that you're going to lose some, but you're also going to keep some. Right. Yeah. And I would say like, while you're figuring that out too, it's also redefining what top talent looks like. Mm. I think that to Lisa's point where it's like, we have to kind of redefine a lot of different things in the workplace because things aren't working anymore. I, there's kind of a standard definition of what top talent looks like. It depends on the company, right? Like different companies define top talent differently, but typically they work really, really hard. They say yes to everything. They put in extra hours. They volunteer for all committees. They're really good technically. Like it's all of this huge long list of things. When many times the top talent could be that person who's more introverted, who's been working to like build relationships with a lot of people and they're doing it more slowly, but because they're not the loudest or the first one to volunteer, people are like, oh, well, you're not really, you're not top talent. So it's like, it's just reframing what top talent looks like. So then if those people do leave, because some of them inevitably will, it's like you have a bigger pool than you think you do. You just have to kind of redefine what that pool looks like to you. Right, right. Now I know why why you both get hired in to speak about this stuff because guys know what the fuck you're talking about <laughs> when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to companies. Um, so going off that tangent, bringing it back to like the name of this yeah. podcast, which is about public speaking. Um, no, but I think I think that stuff was really good. How do people get over the fear of public speaking and spread a message that they want to share? So, okay, my <clears throat> biggest thing. And I mean, speaking is such a mental game more than anything in the entire world. Like you can be so prepared, so everything, but it's all about what's going on in your head and getting over the fear of public speaking. I think that like what the fears that so many people have when they start speaking and, and I've worked with coaching some people too, and lots of people are scared of the same stuff. They're scared that the technology is going to start, start, stop working and they're afraid that they're going to forget what they wanted to say. They're afraid that someone is going to say something or they're going to heckle them and they don't know what they're going to do. They're afraid that, you know, like there's this whole long list of things that they're afraid of. Like they're going to have to get sick and run off stage, which I've heard stories of professional speakers who like have food poisons and work through it. Um, but I think that in all those things, you're so concerned about how people are perceiving you and right. trying to manage that impression. It's like, the best advice I feel like I was ever given and to give other people is like, it's really just about the audience. Like the audience wants to feel comfortable and they want to feel happy. And so if you're up there scared and nervous, they're going to feel scared and nervous. And so the best thing you can do is just think about the audience the entire time and tell yourself different mantras and things that are about them and not about you. So instead of, I'm I'm not going to screw up. I'm not going to screw up. I'm going to get it right. I'm going to get it right. It's like, no, the audience is going to have a good time we're going to have a good time together. It's like reframing it. So it's more about the the people in the room than right. about you, I think is one of the most powerful mindset tricks that can just get you out of the fear. 
it'll still be there. I mean, your hands probably still shake and they get sweaty, like sweaty palms. But that's like a healthy nervous fear, fear, right? That's just excited yeah. to do something. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you can look at it as fear, as you, or you can look at it as excitement, like nervous, like excited energy, yeah. which is a good thing. You channel that. Right. Um, in terms of, so I really have had to overcome this, especially as an introvert who's like bad is <clears throat> totally after a presentation, even still, even still, I'm like, okay, where's the nearest, like, I need to go back to my hotel room and like shut the lights off. (laughs) But some tactical things that have really helped me, I mean, this bears repeating because it's so true, preparation, knowing Mm -hmm. what you're talking about and being passionate about it is really, really important. Know know what you're saying and and say the words, because I I had the problem where I, I knew it really well inside my head, but I didn't actually speak the words or go through it. I was like, oh, I know this. Like, I'm say the words, stand up, pretend like you're presenting to an audience. Right. Sounds so thick. It's so important. Try to do that at least a few times. That will help so, so, so much. Um, second of all is slowing down when you're presenting. So the, the fear tendency makes you speed up and go really fast. Uh, you insert a lot of filler words, slow down. It really helps. And the pause may feel like a million years to you, but for the audience, A, it gives them time to catch up with what you're saying, and B, it just sounds nicer. It adds some dynamism to the way you're presenting. Those two things were really helpful for me in terms of being very tactical, um, shifting the attention to the audience and not yourself. Uh, But I think the thing that was a really uh, groundbreaking moment for me in my fear was the worst presentations I've ever given are the ones where I was trying to be someone else. When I was trying to put on the persona of the public speaker and I was like, I am speaking to you and here's how I heard that person say that joke. So I'm going to say it in exactly the same way. And I was like, is this thing on? Anyone out there? Hello? It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And that's where like the fear is justified because you're not being yourself. You're acting, but not acting. And it's terrible. So for me, when I was like, oh, I'm just going to go up there and I'm going to be myself. I'm going to be a dork. I'm going to be a nerd. I'm going to make weird faces. I'm going to just do me and be me and talk about what I'm passionate about in the way that I do it. Because if I tried to go up there and be a speaker or be like that person, it's never going to work. And when I, when I've been confident enough and honestly, being yourself gives you the confidence to be confident enough. When I just go up there and I'm Lisa, it's, a totally different game and the fear, the the nerves, they still happen, but you walk up on stage and you start talking as yourself and it melts away. It really does. Yeah. Right. That, that makes a lot of sense. And, and building on top of that, I've heard a lot of um, speakers say this. I believe in this as well is like being authentic on stage solves everything, right? Because if you've prepared and you know the content that you're speaking about, and then you're truly you and you're not trying to embody or personify somebody else, it's going to at least give you a better chance to make a genuine connection with other people. I kind of want to break that down. How do you think people can be genuine? And I know it's as simple as saying like, just be yourself, but are there some tools, there's some tips, especially from someone who's introverted, who like had to break out of their shell to go back into their shell on stage and and metaphorically to be yourself. Is there a process to get there? So yeah, um, a couple things avoid mimicry so you know the what's what's that saying that the 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 highest form of flat what's that saying is imitation uh, imitation is the, high, is the highest form, form of flattery, flattery something like that yeah, yeah, yeah don't don't as speakers i feel like anyone who's trying to be a speaker and be a good speaker you're consuming a lot of information you're watching a lot of speakers you're watching a lot of ted talks you're going to watch a lot of stuff which is great good but don't try to be anyone else don't try to mimic anyone else because it's not going to work it's not 
it, that, that is not being authentic. And, and of course you can see what other people are doing and be like, I like the way he did that or she did that. That's great. But if it doesn't feel like it fits within your skin, don't do it. And so mimicry for me has been, I, I, that's how I started. I started by following the speech patterns and the gestures of other people. And I was like, you know what, what, what do I do in my normal life? What do I do naturally as someone in a conversation? What am I doing right now? What comes to me just naturally without me even thinking about it? that's who I should try to be because that's who I am. (laughs) So, and it's so hard. It can be so hard to say, go on stage and be yourself. You're like, what even is myself? Uh, So even just observing the way that you interact with human beings on a day-to-day basis and seeing, okay, what is, what is natural to me? Am I someone who gesticulates a lot? Am I not? Am I someone who is very dynamic in the way I speak or am I a little bit more measured, more quiet? What, what is nat- what naturally comes to you? And then of course there's some element in speaking where you, you ratchet the volume up a little bit, but the volume of your own voice, not somebody else's. Right. Um, so that's one thing. Another thing, um, I was going to say has totally escaped me. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'll I'll, I'll let you know if I think of it. Do you have any? Yeah, I feel like the other thing to add on to that is like, and this is something I had to work on too, because I also kind of came in and it was like, here's the script and do this. And it, it was very difficult to not try to be someone else, but it's taking time to do introspection and inquiry to think about like, when I get off stage, what do I want people saying about me? Yeah, And it could be like, I remember one time I, I finished a presentation to this group of financial advisors who I had to give them my, like my letters after my name. And I was like, I have a BS in communication studies. Like I don't have fancy <laughs> letters after my name. Um, this is so embarrassing. And so I was so nervous the whole time. And then I finished the presentation and this six year old dude came up to me 60 ish. I don't know. Uh, and he said, gosh, that was so much fun. You know, I just like want to go grab a beer with you. And I was like, I didn't know that's what I wanted you to say, but that's kind of what I wanted you to say. Like, I wanted you to say that I felt like a peer, that you listened to me, that we had a good time together. And so I I, like the advice I always think is helpful is that think about what you want people to say afterwards. Mm -hmm. And it might be you're the smartest person I've ever heard in my entire life. It might be you're the funniest person ever, but it has to be something too that jives with you. Like if if I wanted someone to say, oh my gosh, are you a stand-up comedian? Then this would never work out, right? Like I, it needs to be right. true to you. But then also when you do speak, listen to what people say because they will, they'll give you really cool feedback that you realize, oh, I didn't even know that's what I wanted to hear. And that's, that's awesome. I want to keep, I want to keep kind of inspiring that same feeling. Yeah, it's like it's like the whole Simon Sinek, like know your why or whatever. Yeah. Your why is a great compass, a great North Star. And if you know your why and why you're presenting, why you're speaking on a specific topic, I think you can't help but be authentic. If you're really focused on that why, it's going to come through. Mm-hmm. I, I I genuinely believe in that. And we're going to we're gonna wrap this up. I only have one more question after you guys. Um, but the, the why is important because for me, I'm building a company um, called MBM Communications, which is basically a public speaking training and communications consulting firm. It's not really management consulting. It's more so specific towards public speaking in that area. And the MBM stands for motivated by mortality. So like a big thesis I have in my life is like, we're going to fucking die and like, we should do something that. about it. And, love that. Right. And at like 20 years old, and even like the fact that you said, I, I love that, even if like, to me, that's where I get my, my happiness from. When I like say my genuine truth and my idea with all the energy that I have and people are like, yeah, I understand that. I, I kind of get what you're saying, which is kind of like the whole, I want to get a beer with you scenario. It's like, mm-hmm. this is my truth. You guys want to make work, not suck. I want to figure out how to find purpose and meaning in our life. 
because one day I'm not going to be on this earth. Like that whole concept is ridiculously crazy to me. And, <laughs> and the ability to talk about that is like my compass, my why. And then everything I, I, I build around that always has that at the very heart of it. So, and that's why I asked about introspection above, which is why I'm happy you mentioned it again. It's like, I think to be authentic, you have to know who you are and like on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Self-actualization at the, at the top. It's a hard process figuring out who the fuck you are. Like, cause it, it's, it, you're going to find yeah. out things about yourself that are like scary and vulnerable and negative and positive <laughs> and things that you don't like about yourself. And you have to be honest of like, am I going to change this or am I not going to change this because this is just who I am. And that whole journey, I think eventually leads to a communicative form, whether that's in singing or, or speaking, um, that is authentic at its very core. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And the people who don't match that are the ones who turn out to be the BS speakers. Like I've seen motivational speakers and I'm like, you are full of shit. Like you're, you're absolutely, <laughs> you're speaking dog shit. Like, like you're, like you're regurgitating messages and these, these fuckers have 800,000 followers on Instagram. I'm like, how did you speak dog shit and get 800,000 followers by just like not being genuine? And you can tell it's not genuine or maybe that's just me, but I, I yeah, I think to really be fulfilled, you have to understand who you are and that's going to translate to speaking. So yeah 100% yep awesome I think this was a really awesome podcast the last episode I have for you guys I hope everyone listening to this podcast got a lot of value uh, out of speaking to some people who are in the consulting industry and understand speaking from a different tactical and philosophical standpoint my last question that I ask to every guest on this podcast and you can answer it however you want is are both of you happy right now in life Could not be yes. happier, honestly. Um, there's this the challenges of a, a new business because uh, we were born, our little LLC was born in January of this year. But I mean, it's taking off, honestly. Right. And the so December and just the speaking industry, maybe you know this, but is tends to be a quieter month. Uh, people are calming down for the year, and then the bookings start again in January. So yeah. we've had time to look at behind us to breathe to be grateful for everything that has come to pass to enjoy one another's company without the like pressure of oh my gosh we have a presentation coming up we need to prepare for that so um yeah I can honestly say I I mean it's funny because I just posted we just posted to Instagram a, a, a post about how happy we are and how grateful we are for everything and even if nothing were to change I think we've both accomplished so much and just enjoy hanging out with one another and learning about the topic that we're passionate about so yeah, a very long-winded say to say way to say that hell yeah, very very happy. Yeah, agreed. Very happy, and I think that what's cool about you know being an entrepreneur and growing a business, and then you're you're always growth oriented, and right. you can choose what growth oriented looks like personally, professionally, and so much of growth is so hard. Like you have to look at yourself and look in the mirror and face all the things that you're scared of and all the things you're excited about and we've been doing that for a year personally and professionally and it's been fun and it's been hard and there've been tears and there's been like laughter and all that good stuff. But it, it feels so cool to be in this place now where it's like, yeah, I'm so happy and I'm happy to continue the growth because that never ends. Right. And I will just say one like little piece that we've learned this year is as speakers, a lot of what you do is you, you know, it's, it's your appearance, it's your message. It's all you're, you're, you're presenting to people and they are, are judging you for lack of a better term based on what you are presenting. Right. And it's very easy to fall down the trap of getting your um, motivation, gratification coming from your happiness from other people. Mm-hmm. It, that doesn't work. That really does not work. And we have found that if we can intrinsically motivate ourselves, if we can 
find validation within ourselves, that's when we're happiest to just trust our guts and know that we're doing the right thing. We're doing something we're passionate about, we care about. And, you know, if we were to be snuffed out tomorrow, we wouldn't regret what we've done. And, and that's right. how we feel. Uh, and it's a lot of it comes from just being internally motivated and validated and not seeking validation from others, which, again, I, I think in this industry can be a really easy thing to slip into. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with 100% of that. Um, that is Lisa and Hannah from Good Company Consulting. Thank you guys for spending your time with us. Um, let everybody know just where to find you and then we'll uh, we'll end this up. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. This has been super, super fun and uh, so funny that you found us on Instagram. So yeah. we are on Instagram at Good Company Consulting, which I know is very long, but that's how you will find us. And that's also our URL. So if you guys want to check us out, um, that's where we're at. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was very fun. All right. Well, that was our episode of the Public Speakers Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. And thank you for listening.